Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome back to another Honest Youth Pastor YouTube video. The channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today we are going to be doing that via another sermon review. Now, we're going to kind of break up the schedule that we had planned because there was quite a few requests that came in about looking at the sermon that uh, started. I don't know if you want to use the word started, but the sermon that was kind of given before the whole Asbury uh, movement revival thing happened. I don't know what you want to call it. This will this will also be, in case you're listening to this and you've kind of seen a couple of videos I've done on Asbury, this will be the last one. But I did want to cover this sermon because so many of you ask about it. Now, in case you're here and you don't know what happened at Asbury and you don't know what a sermon review is, let me fill you in really quick before we jump into it. Each week, we look at a variety of different sermons from a variety of different pastors, and we ask three questions of those sermons. One, do they read the text? Do they read scripture? Secondly, do they use culture and context to bring out the application and the reality of scripture and the application to the original audience and to us as modern believers as well? And thirdly, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Namely, do they say, uh, you know, Jesus came of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, he, he went to the cross in our place for our sins, he rose in defeat, defeat of sin and death, he ascended into heaven, and one day he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Like, is any of that at all included within the sermon? So we're asking those three questions of this sermon as we do of all the different sermons. Now, a little, little pre Sort of thing, in case you don't know what happened at Asbury, this is the over, like the really high flyover version. If you want to know more, I'll link both my videos about it in the description, as well as this entire sermon without my commentary. That'll be linked in the description below as well, as well as a number of other different links if you want to check those out on how to support what we do here. Okay, long story short, Asbury, uh, after this particular service, there were a group of students that stuck around for prayer and worship, and that turned into basically two weeks of prayer and worship uh, and repentance from not only the students on the campus, but literally thousands of people from around the world, some which flew in, some which drove in, but all came to Asbury um, with hopefully the purpose of, of praising and glorifying Jesus Christ. There's a lot of coverage about it. I'm sure you can find some. My videos will be down below. You can look for others as well. So let's go ahead, as always, get into uh, the review screen here. We're going to be watching this sermon. This is actually a fairly short sermon. This is 26 minutes long. Um, I haven't read the article in which this was stated, but the, the guy that's giving the sermon apparently... Uh, after he got done giving this sermon, text his wife and is like, yeah, I completely, that sermon was terrible. I did a terrible job at it. And I, I don't want to, um, necessarily d disagree with him. I, <laughs> what we're going to see is there's some definite, um, things in this sermon that could have been done better. But I also obviously want to look at the three questions we ask all the time when we do look at sermons. So let's go ahead and hop into it, uh, and see kind of how it goes. Again, this was the chapel service. That was given, um, oh, I don't know what date it was. The point is, it was given at the beginning of the Asbury whole thing. So let's go ahead and hop in and do what we do. And I'm back. Hey, neat. 
My fear anytime. So this is Zach. Okay. I don't even know how to say his last name. My understanding, unless I'm totally wrong, is that Asbury uh, is a Christian university and it has chapels two or three times a week. I went to a Christian university. All of those chapels were mandated. I think we actually had a chapel every day at the college I went to and you had to go. They actually scanned your student badge to make sure you attended. So what we have uh, here is Zach. He's a, apparently he's been there a few times. He's going to mention that. Um, he's hold on real quick. Okay. I had to turn my mic up a little bit. So he, uh, apparently has spoke there before and he's speaking again. And this is, uh, Zach Merck, Merck, <laughs> let's get into it. I'm led in worship by a crew like that, that all of a sudden the sound booth is going to be like, I'm going to get this dude and unmute my mic. And then it'll sound like stepping on a dog. Like, you know, like, so I'm glad you didn't do that. Thanks for that. <clears throat> um, we're going to continue in in Romans 12. That's the star, okay? God's word and Jesus and the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. That's what we're hoping. Uh, like I said last week, and I'll continue to say anytime I get to stand with you guys, uh, I hope you guys forget me, but anything from the Holy Spirit and God's word would find fertile ground in your hearts and produce fruit. Okay? See, now that, that's admirable. I'll just start from the beginning. You don't normally have a lot of pastors, speakers say that, right? Where I just want you to don't like, I could care less if you remember me or anything I say. I'd rather you remember the word. And we've said this a number of times when we cover these sermon and do these sermon reviews. Like I could care less about what a tweetable phrase you have or what wonderful insight that you may or may not be giving that you want me to remember. I very much care about the word of God though and that that is open and that is preached. And that seems to be Zach's sort of aim here as he begins preaching is that like, I don't care if you remember me. I just want you to think about what we're talking about. I want Jesus to be glorified. I want the spirit to move in your life and do so through this, the, the preaching of the word. So last time, did I forget my clicker? Nope. It's right here. Y'all big green sign. Awesome. Last time we talked, becoming love in action. You guys are in a series of becoming love in action. And we're in Romans 12, 13, and 14. Awesome. I know how to count. And Romans 12, 1 through 8, we talked about, or uh, yeah, 1 through 8, we've talked about. Uh, Dr. Baldwin talked about verses 1 and 2, about an act of worship, being conformed by God, not of this world. I came, and last Wednesday, we talked about verses 3 through 8, and we talked about the cost of pride, comparison, and competition. And then we invited ourselves to, to practice and lean into gratitude, understanding that all we have is gifts, and asking the question, who are we looking at? Are we gazing upon Jesus, or are we gazing to the left and to the right? So we continue to have this conversation about love and becoming love, and what is love? So I'm going to ask you a really conceited, maybe awkward question, okay? Okay, so he's going to get into sort of his intro. I mean, that is his intro, but he's basically reviewed what they've talked about before, and he's about to get into his intro. Now, you can kind of tell, and he, he, he definitely recovers from this, but you can tell that he's not like, 
like super prepared like he seems a little disheveled in regards to the preparedness but he does get better at that but one of the things that you can tell from the get-go is he's talking to a chapel service which he is assuming is believers right so they're working through romans talking about what that means they're in romans 12 is what they're they're specifically working through and that idea of as a believer what does this mean for me then right what is what are these what are the applications from this text that can be brought to me so he's already made it fairly apparent that we are talking to believers. Uh, we've talked about this before when we do sermon reviews. Uh, a pastor's view on what the church is for is going to dictate how they then present the gospel, or to present the scripture rather, and the gospel, but the scripture to the church. So if you think that the church service is for evangelism, then you're going to present it differently than if you think that the church service is for believers and for their edification. And so... Zach here clearly says, okay, I, or there's this assumption at least that you are all believers. So as believers, what is the application of Romans 12? And so he covers kind of what they've talked about before. And now we're going to get in to the main part. Again, uh, Romans 12 is what he's talking about uh, specifically. And he's going to give us that text and kind of work through it, starting sort of here, Romans 12, verse 9, essentially. Do you love me? This might be awkward. Look at the person next to you and ask them that question. All right, all right, all right, all right. Look to the other person and ask, do you love me? All right, cool, 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 cool. All right, hey, just a, just a sneak peek. If that's the first time you've ever talked to your neighbor, fix that. You laugh, but for real. But the question is, is do you love me? I know Nick loves me because we're buddies. And I buy him wings sometimes. <laughs> hopefully, he said hopefully. <laughs> but do you love me? We talk about love all the time, right? Daniel Fusco, a pastor in the Pacific Northwest, he says the, the problem with the word love is that everyone says it, or does it, but without Christ, abiding in his spirit, receiving and giving, it's actually not love. It's wrong. These are some things I love. Corto Lima. Anyone been to Corto Lima downtown? Tremendous. Downtown Lexington. I live in Lexington. Downtown Lexington. Best tacos. They have this thing called Papa's in La Lata. French fries, cheese, jalapenos. You can get smoked pork on it. You start speaking in tongues, it's so good. <laughs> or just because the spirit falls, but that's cool. Manchester Coffee Co., anyone? Ever at Manchester? Yeah, they're not paying me for this, but they could if they wanted. I love dry cappuccinos. They make a good dry cappuccino. Or Sorella's Gelato. You have to be careful in Lexington. Sorella's. Gelato, owned by these two twins from the Czech Republic. Uh, they are remarkable. They give me and my daughter free gelato all the time. I love gelato. I love coffee. I love tacos and Papa's Linlata. But is that different than how I love these people? These are my girls. Right? Do I love tacos like I love Mercy, that, that mighty baby in the middle? 
Do I love dry cappuccinos like my beautiful wife, KP? Do I, do I enjoy and delight in gelato like I do my daughter, Esther, who's in heaven? Or do I love speaking in chapel like I actually really, really love Eden May in the top right corner? I got home late last night. I was preaching in Columbus, Ohio, and I just climbed right into bed with uh, Eden because I love her. So do you, are you guys tracking? We, we say love about a lot, right? You guys might love like the hot chicken sandwich day in the calf. Like that's not the same. It's not the same. So as we go into Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, we're going to talk about love. All right, so he's given us the text, right? So it's going to be Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. We're going to go through a huge amount of text in verse 21. But he set up the classic, like, I I think you sort of get this, the feel from this, that if you've ever been in youth group or like a student Christian camp, like that's sort of the tone and tenor of this, right? Very kind of laid back, very sort of like you can tell, like he's got, you know, he's, he's laid back, he's comfortable with the students. And we have had like what the classical uh, sort of like, do you love this food like you love that person sort of breakdown? I think we've all heard that before. So like, it's not like we're breaking new ground here, but there is this, again, this intro to set up of the sort of the same intro we've all heard before in regards to, hey, there is a difference in loving things the way that, uh, that we use the word, right? Now, he's going to do the classic breakdown of all the different loves in Greek uh, versus the way we use the word love for everything. So expect that because that's coming. But the idea is that that's, that's the intro, getting you in the headspace to say, okay, we use love a lot. How do we mean it? What does it mean? I don't love coffee the same way I love my wife. I don't love tacos the same way I love my daughter. These are different forms of love. And he's going to use Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9, to sort of get us into that. Now, again, what I would encourage you guys to do, not a paid advertisement, though, Step app, I'm looking at you. Uh, If you want to download the Step app, I know it's on Apple. I don't know if it's on Android, but it is, uh, it's ESV. So if you hate the ESV, you're not going to like the Step app, but it goes through and it has the Greek alongside of. So if I type, tap a word, right, that word comes up, uh, you can tap a bunch of different words and it'll come up and tell you the Greek for that. So that's, that's a really cool feature of the Step app because you have a Bible that you can read along. It's not an interlinear, so it doesn't have the Greek and then the the, the English, but you can tap on them and see that. So it's very helpful. So that's going to become useful, not only in this sermon review, but in, we've talked about it a lot, but this one specifically, we'll look at kind of how that helps us out. So that's his intro, getting in now to Romans chapter 12, starting verse nine. Okay. So we did this before you stood for the scripture reading. We're going to stand again. And then at the end, I'm going to say, this is the word of God and we believe it. And you'll say, I'll say, this is the word of God. And then you say, and we believe it. If you do believe it. If you don't believe it, be uh, honest. I just want to make a comment about that. Like, I think that's helpful. There, uh, I, I talked to a youth pastor. I forget which patron it was, but we were talking on, because each, each month, depending on the tier you're on a Patreon, I have a one-on-one call uh, with them. And one of the calls I was on with the youth pastor, that was a discussion we were having, like similar to what he was saying here, that... There were lots of times where I had a lot of youth in youth group that 
that aren't Christians. But the idea was like, if you don't believe, I get it, but I need you to like be respectful of everyone else here that does, and then at least listen and be attentive during prayer and worship. And so Zach here clearly says, okay, hey, this is a chapel on a Christian college campus. So most of you are obviously believers. So when we read the word, you're going to affirm the word. But if you don't, that's fine. Don't just say things to say things, which I think is helpful. It's creating a space that says, we do definitely believe this here. If you don't, though, don't just feel like you have to follow along just to get, I mean, you're, you're welcome here if you don't believe it, but we're not going to compromise on our beliefs just because you don't believe that. So just be respectful of that. And I think that's a nice tone, nice even tone to say you're welcome here, but we definitely believe this stuff, just in case you're curious. But I'm glad you're here. Let love be without hypocrisy. We could just stop there, right? Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God, and we believe it. Awesome, you can sit. 13 verses. 30 commandments. How are you guys feeling? How are you guys feeling? Yeah, you're like, you're like, I got all those down. I have always loved by choosing the other person's preference before myself. I've never been a hypocrite. How are you guys feeling? Dude, this morning I had preference over my wife. Like I wanted to sleep in a little bit more but she had been up with the baby. Like, this morning, what about you? 13 verses, 30 commands. This is just some of them. Even if we didn't read those, if you're sitting in this chapel and you're like, oh, awesome. What are you, like, what emotion are you feeling right now? Yell it out. Anxiety, joy, that's cool. No, that's all, that is cool. What? Exhausted. Because it looks kind of like a to-do list. I would be overwhelmed. I maybe would feel even guilt or shame because I don't do this stuff. Well, I know the heart of God is not one that would heap guilt and shame on us, right? That I know that the word of God corrects and and, and uh, coaches us, but this might feel like, 
I feel that way when I look at this passage. You might be like, well, I'm new to this whole thing, or I don't, I don't know Jesus, or I didn't study this passage. No, like I have studied this passage. I have been walking with the Lord now for 16 years. Many people in this, this room has, lo- has loved and walked with the Lord longer, and they sit and say, Whew, how do I do this? We're, we're not only called, like ethereally, we're called to love those in your community. That's So really quick, one of the things, just to address that, now, I think this is where I would maybe disagree with Zach. So these, these here are what we see is, I mean, it depends on how, how, how your Bible labels it. Obviously, the Step app ESV is going to label that marks of a true Christian. And one of the things that we see within, um, obviously, the epistles, this being one of them, um, as well as like the early church, um, especially, again, up till like, you know, 312 or whatever, when Constantine comes into power. But we have the Christians and the believers operating out of these commands. Now, again, a lot of these commands uh, are one way or another. Uh, some of them are drawn from the Sermon on the Mount, right? So we have some connections that we can just see, uh, especially verse 12. Bless those that persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Uh, rejoice that uh, those who rejoice. Like there, there's a lot of things here that we can connect back specifically to, to the Sermon on the Mount. That Paul here is when he's writing to the Romans is saying, "Hey, this is what it looks like to to love well," and so he's not going to go through all of all of these. He did read it, which I appreciate, even though it, I kind of feel like he sped read, but whatever. Um, I I, I don't want to give him too much of an out here because <laughs> it is very much like a youth groupy kind of sermon, um, and he does seem pretty tired. But the the we did speed read through this, but these here I don't know if they would cause anxiety in a person. Maybe they do. I think for, uh, for a younger believer, one of the best things we can do for a younger believer, if they look at this and are like, man, I don't know how to do this, is really disciple them through the reality that sanctification is the thing that happens in, in one's life, right? And through various different times in one's life, you're going to be confronted with how to do a number of these things well. And really to prep someone, for example, to not be haughty, but to associate with the lowly or to, you know, pray for those that persecute you or to not seek vengeance on your own or to love, uh, to let your love be genuine. Like all of these things, um, you're, you're not going to be able to maybe do them in the moment. You're going to have to be discipled in the, in, in the teachings of Christ um, and being changed by the Spirit so that when things come up, um, you can recognize that in that moment, um, you you remember the words of the Lord, right? You remember that you shouldn't seek vengeance, but rather vengeance is the Lord. You remember when you're persecuted that you're supposed to pray for them and not, um, you know, malign them. And all of that only comes through being in the word and being discipled in the word and being in prayer and asking the spirit to continually sanctify you um, so that when those moments do happen, they they don't catch you by surprise. And you also know that like this isn't done by your own power, right? This isn't on you. This isn't a, I do these things, therefore I'm good enough. It is a, this is an outflowing of that good work that has been prepared beforehand by God, as Paul tells the Ephesians. Like this is something that is an outpouring of the inward work of the Spirit in your life. So being able to let love be genuine is an outworking of the Spirit in your life. Being able to not seek vengeance for yourself is an outworking of the Spirit in your life. Being able to do a number of these things is an outworking of the Spirit in your life. 
So I think if somebody comes to this, and this is again, this is where I think I would disagree with Zach here is that I don't know if it should make you like a to-do list or make you anxious or make you exhausted to try to do these things. I think if we're looking at it that way, it should, it should sort of tell us, give us a glimpse of like, maybe we're approaching this in a way that we think it's all on us. Um, it's, it, not to say that he's preaching like he thinks it's a workspace thing. I don't think that. I don't I have a clue who Zach is. But I just think that w- how we frame it is important because um, these are marks of a believer. We, we can see and have stories of the early church where like each of these things is sort of worked out well as regards to how they love one another with a brotherly affection, like the community of believers. Um, like complete strangers I don't know. But I, but I know they're Christian, and therefore I love them like family, right? Um, and we could go on and on through all of these. Uh, but I just wanted to stop there and make that point. Uh, the first time I've listened to this all the way through once, uh, when we came to this point now, it's a reminder of that. When I listened to it, it's like, I don't think this should be exhausting for us or anxiety-inducing. I think it's, it's really the reality that this isn't done by our own power. It is done by the power of the Spirit in us. And that shouldn't be exhausting. That should be a relief that God is doing a good work in our life uh, to bring forth these sorts of outcomes. So let's keep going. That's those you you guys, okay? How do you guys love one another? If that was the scorecard, if that was the to-do list, and then you applied it on how you love others on campus, how do you do? Then those who persecute your community. So the people that make fun of you, the people that think this is all a farce, that think this is a waste of time, people who comment on your posts and say, that's stupid, like I don't, those who persecute, same list of how to love them. How you doing? Oh, and then not even those who like post on your, uh, post on your posts, comments on your posts, but those who are like literally anti-you. I was just talking to uh, missionaries in Syria this morning. And they are loving their enemies. They just had a missionary killed. And they are going to the neighbors in the neighborhood where that missionary is killed to serve them. Enemy love. That's something that's unique about the Christian faith. See, and it's one of the things that I think, so that example, right? So like the dichotomy that he's sort of setting up is like, how are you doing with this versus this is how Christians in Syria are do, do, doing this. I think there there is a certain comparison sometimes we do um, in that, like, oh, you're not doing this well enough. These people are. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what he's saying, um, but he did refer, refer to this as a scorecard, like how well are you doing on this? Uh, it is a beautiful thing to see believers in other uh, of other nations, uh, live out the gospel in their lives in a way that I don't think that, um, we've ever really had to, to, had to do in a way that's like rubber meets the road kind of way. Right. Um, so this story of the believers in Syria serving those that actually killed their brother and sister in Christ is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Um, and it should inspire us to, to, to do the same, right? To say whenever something does happen to us, so those that post, you know, poorly about us, or, I mean, again, that's not, that's not persecution, in my opinion, <laughs> someone being mean to you online. But 
at the very least, pray for that person, right? Don't comment back. Or if you do comment back, don't come back with the same energy. Um, the idea is just praying for that person or just not, or if you think that it's not going to, you know, that conversation isn't going to develop well, just pray for them and not engage. But um, I, I just want to be careful with comparing, you know, this is how they did it and you're failing at it. We are called to love our enemies. How are we doing? And then this one, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, which is like hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. This is agape love. This is the first time in Romans that the vertical perfection of agape love, there's a Greek versions of love. There's agape, phileo, eros, which is the word erotic comes from, and storge, okay? This is the first time that the Apostle Paul is saying, now I'm not talking about vertical love when I talk about agape. I'm talking about how you love one another, this perfect love, God-like love. Phileo is brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Eros, that's why we get the word erotic, and that's actually the Greek word of take, like steal, which is the selfishness of porn. And storge is like familial love. When you have kids, you'll have storge love. You'll have motherly, fatherly love. In some other translations, it says love must, they don't use the word hypocrisy. They use the word sincere or genuine. So, the word hypocrisy comes from this Greek root word that's a word used for actors or in theater back in the day, right? Because in theater back in the day, they didn't have like backstages. It was just big open air theater. Has anyone been to Greece or Rome? You see these big amphitheaters and they walk in and there's nowhere like you can hide and change, right? So someone would come on and have like three masks because they were gonna like put one mask on put the next mask on and another one because they were playing three characters. Does that make sense? That's what the word hypocrisy comes from. It's like, it's polluted. It's, it's not all of the same. Multiple masks. Has anyone experienced that? I have. If we're a community, let's, let's engage. Have you guys experienced that? I have been a hypocrite. Multiple times. It's polluted love. It's selfish love. And some of you guys have experienced radically poor love. Like evil love. Selfish love. And I would say today, we should not even give it the honor of calling it love. Some of you have experienced things that should not have even been titled love. Some of you guys know my story. In my childhood, I experienced what my uh, perpetrator, my, the person who, who abused me, called love. It's not love. 100% selfish. 100% violent. Some of you guys have experienced that. Some of you guys have experienced that love, that kind of love, in the church. Some of you guys, maybe it's not violent, it's not molestation, it's not taken advantage of, but, but it feels like someone has just pulled a fast one on you. Like, you're safe here. 
No, yeah, you're welcome here. Ooh. Has anyone felt that? This is not love. Not love. I have nothing until this afternoon. I have coffee with a dude. I am happy to sit here and pray with people. If you have experienced that kind of love, there is leaders on campus that will stay in these seats and pray for you. If you need to hear the voice of God, the Father in heaven, who will never love you that way, that is perfect in love, gentle and kind, you come up here and you experience his love. Don't waste this opportunity. I'm gonna pray real quick. There's a screw on the, look at that. Shame the devil, he's not gonna get me with that. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, what if I put a, just, just a hole in my pants and you just see my hiney? All right, Jesus, if there's people in this room that literally feel the weight of that perverted thing that one person called love, would you just alleviate that weight right now? Would you just alleviate the Holy Spirit, move through these rows. Move through these rows and love on these people. Jesus, if there's people who have experienced hypocritical love in the church, Holy Spirit, move through these rows and alleviate that. Heal them, Jesus. Show them your true self. Would they be bold and courageous to ask for further healing and further uh, prayer in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay, I wanted to let him get through that whole thing before we talked about it. So again, with the step out, like I talked about before, if you go to the beginning, um, he's, he's clearly not. So we're, we're 16 minutes into a 26 minute message. So we're clearly not going to get through all of these verses. In fact, I, I'd say that it would almost take like a few weeks to, to appropriately get through each of these verses. You could probably do it in a whole sermon. It would just, it'd be super packed. So anyway, there's a lot here. He kind of he kind of goes around with a few of these verses and then comes back and ends up in verse nine, making this what we just heard, like that pretty long section of of sermon there where he talks about let love be genuine, or that's what the ESV says. His version says, let love be without hypocrisy. Either way, the word as he says it's trans it's pretty much open for the translation committee of whatever version you have to make that decision. Um, the, the idea though, is that it's a sincere love. It's not a two faced love. It's like a real, um, just open upfront love. So he does talk about, and he does do something interesting here in which he, he, he defines it by showing what it's not right? Which is essentially, I mean, really, you could argue it's Paul's, what Paul's doing in verse 9 here, where he's defining what love looks like by what love is not. So he says, let your love be genuine or let your love be without hypocrisy. Uh, and then Zach here takes it and says, you probably have experienced a, hypocr uh, a love that is hypocrisy before, where someone says they love you, but they don't. Uh, they say they love you, but then they do unloving things towards you. And then he tells his story and then he sort of compares it. I don't know if it's a, a great one-to-one -one comparison, but it is a comparison that there's a variety of different ways to do this. He talks about actual abuse that happened to him. And then he talks about maybe sometimes the church on the other end of this shows you know love that is hypocritical. 
Um, and maybe, and he, 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 you know, in this service, and, and this is probably 100% true, there's somebody sitting there that has experienced the church not showing love the way that they should. Um, the church being the big C church, those within the church, those of us that call ourselves Christians, not doing this well all the time. And to his credit, he says that he doesn't do this well all the time. It's not like his love is always genuine either. Um, and then he does something that I don't see happen a lot, and I'm not totally opposed to it, which is just praying for those in that moment that have experienced that, that they, uh, they, that they understand that what they've experienced from people is not how God loves them. Now, you might think this is a little thing, but to be frank, frankly honest with you, I've talked to people very recently that have a huge um, problem understanding God's love for them because of the love they've experienced from uh, people that call themselves Christians. I mean, to the extent that I, we have this all the time, especially when I do like Father's Day sermons, people have an enormous problem understanding God as father because they've had fathers that aren't great, either Christian or not Christian fathers that aren't great. And so that terminology of father, as we see in the scripture, has a lot attached to it for them. Even this idea of God unconditionally loving you, like his love being genuine, is really hard for people to get because of the things that have been attached to quote unquote love that they've received or, uh, or gotten from people that call themselves believers. So it's the very image bearers of God that let down you. And then you think, well, if they're the image bearers of God, then therefore God loves me the same way they do. And that's just not true. And it's, it's incredibly hard to get past that for, for many, many people. And so the prayer that Zach prays here, um, I think is helpful. Like, I don't know if we do that a lot. Uh, I actually, to be frank, this is the first sermon where I've already seen anybody kind of just halfway through the sermon, just say a prayer to try to help, you know, people understand what this verse is, that God's not going to love you with a hypocrisy, with a love of hypocrisy, like some other people have. And hopefully again, he, I, he seems to understand that the spirit's really the one that is going to help you understand that and see that more than any, anybody's words are going to do that. Um, and I think this comes from, and I, again, I don't know Zach, but from a, like how, like a, a preaching sermon standpoint, it seems silly to include this in the middle of it, but from a real life boots on the ground, I talk to people all the time, sort of pastoral situation. Uh, it seems like, of course, you're going to interject this because I'm sure Zach probably talks to a lot of people that have difficulty connecting God's love with how they have been loved. And so I, I I think I fought against being like, man, I don't really like that, but I've had recent conversations where that's been a huge issue for people. So I can, I can appreciate where Zach interjects this just as a moment within his sermon to help people understand that. Um, and I think sometimes that's incredibly important to understand that the spirit's going to be the one that changes hearts and minds. That's going to uh, help people see who Christ is more so than any elegant, elegant, eloquent, <laughs> that was ironic, eloquent words that I have. So let's, let's get back into it. So it's not hypocritical of, it's not hypocritical of, it's not polluted. Here's another one, devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Who here loves giving preference to one another? Now, the one thing uh, <laughs> I do want to say 
I don't like the fact that we skipped over the second half, right? Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Like that's an important verse. You hate what is evil. You hold fast to what is good. This is why I said you, this, this whole thing, all the verses he's covering, no way you can cover all these verses in one sermon. But he skips over that part because I think, again, that there's a lot attached to that, that abhorring what is evil, holding fast what is good. Skips down to, so he skips 9b and goes into verse 10a and says, love one another with brotherly affection and then kind of presses into that a bit more. Yeah, it's not, it's not our flesh. Like, we feel that. We feel the, the tension of that. Some of you guys are sitting here like, you were funny last Wednesday. Chill out. This is the word of God. Some of us need to know that we're giving preference. To, we need to give preference to one another. Following Christ's example, Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important to yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It's humbling. It's inconvenient. It's sacrificial love. In verses 11 through 13, there's this word that I want to highlight. It says, serving the Lord. Does anyone love the word servant? Does everyone love being called servant? I remember... In college, I was a D1 athlete and at the last second transitioned to playing at a Bible college a lot like this one. And I was so arrogant and so rude. I am literally the only person of all time to be cut from Indiana Wesleyan soccer team. Me. This was me and Kristen. Look at that. But I didn't have a way to get home. So I became a laundry person. Some of you guys do laundry. I remember I spent nine hours cleaning the team's shorts. I was a D1 athlete, thought I was going to be playing soccer. Now I'm cleaning their shorts, and people are saying, you're such a servant, Zach. And I'm like, let me at you. I want to punch you in the mouth. But by being transformed by Jesus, getting his affections, we would see ourselves as servants. It's a call in our lives. 14 through 17, just another. One thing there real quick, uh, and kind of, we kind of went over it, and this is where I think getting into the Greek is super important, uh, understanding what's going on here. So uh, that exact word is, is to serve, but it's also to be a slave, right? So this idea of you don't have mastery over yourself. You're actually fulfilling the duties that someone else has given you. You're like, you don't, this is not your, um, it's like, oh, I chose to do this. It's a, you've been given duties to fulfill. You've been told to do this and therefore that's why you're doing it. So in verse 11, when it says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So don't be slow in, in wanting to do things but rather be like excited uh, in, in the spirit to, to, do, to, to fulfill what God has given you as a good servant to the Lord. So we know the commandments of God, right? These, I mean, so this is the whole great commission. Go forth and teach them what I have taught you, right? So we know what the Lord commands us to do. And so here in verse 11, it's like, don't be slothful in your excitement to do those things, but rather 
be fervent in the spirit, like want to do them, want to serve the Lord as a good servant to him. Like this may not be what you want to do, like your flesh wants to do, but you know that your master is Christ. And because you know that, don't be slothful in it, but like want to do it, want to serve him as a slave would serve a master. And we don't like that terminology and we don't like to talk about it. But in the context here, the idea is that like, you're, again, going back to verse 9, what he's covered, we're, we're skipping over a lot of like the really good stuff here, I think, in Romans 12, but whatever. But if so, if you're supposed to be genuine in your love, it's not supposed to be hypocritical. Great, right? You're supposed to actually, uh, verse 10, he covered for a minute, love one another with brotherly affection. So not only is my love to be the same love that God shows me, I'm supposed to show you, but I'm supposed to treat you like a brother and sister. So I treat you like family. And sometimes you do things for family that you're not going to do for anybody else, right? Because why? Because they're family. And in verse 10, right, you're not supposed to be like, you're not supposed to be slothful in doing this. Like you're like, want to do this in your spirit, like want to be like excited to fulfill the commandments that God has given you in this genuine love. So you know what love is now because it's, it's Christ and how Christ loves you. And now you're supposed to love other people and your love is supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be excited to fulfill the commandments of the Lord because you are his servant, right? Yes, there's other texts, of course, that talk to talk about us being like, you know, uh, brothers and sisters, right? But there's this reality that we serve a king. And, and Paul here is like, be f- like fervent in this. Want to do the commandments of the Lord. And I don't think we should just scrape over that, right? This idea that like, I'm supposed to love you with brotherly affection. And I can know how to do that because the Lord loves me that way. So I have a great example of how to love you because he loves me this way. And I shouldn't be like slow to do that, but rather really fervent in the spirit to fulfill the commands that our good king has given us. And we do that. Again, we haven't really mentioned it a whole lot. He's mentioned it a little, but this idea that we we have Christ as our great example of how to do this, but not only Christ as our great example, but the spirit in us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus and giving us, he, he did use this term, giving us Jesus's affections, right? So we want to love as Christ loves and we're able to do that because of the Spirit's work in us. So again, it's not on us to white-knuckle this fervency up, but it's rather it's the Spirit in us giving us, right? I don't want to mis- misquote the text. And it says, So be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be, con- uh, be constant in prayer. So we- we're rejoicing in hope as we do this. We're patient when trials come. And we're consistent in prayer through these trials because we have a better hope. Oh, there's so much good stuff here. Anyway, so uh, he's going, he's moving on to another verse. Another one I want to talk about. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Christian communities aren't great at this. So he's in verse 15. Rejoicing with those rejoice feels like, whoa, like you can't be prideful. What about celebrating one another? Celebrating people that are substantially better than you. Athletes, are you a good celebrator of the people on your team that play more than you? Teammates, band members, are you toppling over one another in celebration for one another's gifts? What about weeping with those who weep? Or do you say, you text like praying for you? Do you journey with them? Do you tarry with them? 
And at the very end, right, verses 18 through 21, it starts talking about never do revenge on someone. And God says, that's on me, right? It says, feed those hungry enemies, uh, give water to those thirsty enemies. So last question, again, as we close, do you love me? You guys are like, whoa, that is a different chapel than Wednesday. The pressure's off. You can't love the way that this verse speaks. Do you know that? Do you know that? If it was knowing everything about love, the Sadducees knew everything I love the piano, bro. Like, here's the thing, and I've said this a number of different times in a number of different sermons. The, this Pavlov's dog sort of mentality, like, we just, if you've been in church for longer than five minutes, you know that almost every service ends in song while the pastor, the speaker, like, gives their last five minutes. <sighs> Whatever. You do it or don't do it. Like, I just think we have to be cognizant that music uh, brings forth a type of emotion in us. And that emotion isn't always bad and it's not always manipulative, but we have to admit that sometimes it can be and be cognizant of that and say, is this changing the mood a bit? That's all I'll say about it. But this idea, so he's going into, you can't love like this. If you knew everything about love, the Sadducees did. And then this is where I interrupted him. About love. And it wasn't good enough for Jesus. Okay, okay, I gotta do more, I gotta do more. Some of you guys are like, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna do more, I'm gonna serve the poor. I gotta get to Syria or Turkey, I gotta at least collect water to get there. The Pharisees did that and it wasn't enough. So what is it? You cannot love until you are loved by Jesus. The only way we can... So you can't understand love until you understand you're loved by Jesus. I mean, you can love people. There's unbelievers that love a lot of people. There's unbelievers that do a lot of really good things in the world, right? But they don't understand the love that's talked about in verse 9 of Romans uh, chapter 12, right? This love being genuine. The way that you're under, able to understand love, the way you let agape, right, this God love to us, be genuine. So let the love that you have, that you understand between God and you, be not hypocritical toward other people. The way you can do that, and the reason, mind you, that the second half of verse 9 is important, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, is because you're able to hate what is evil and love what is good because you understand what God loves and what God hates. This is a very important part of the verse 9 is that there are lots of people that love other people. There's unbelievers that love their kids, love their spouses, love a lot of things. But this understanding of this agape love is what's important. That, that's the difference. You can, this, this idea of loving yourself, you can't love yourself until you, you can't love others until you understand God's love. Um, it, it, yes and no. Like, this is where it's very important to understand what we mean by agape love. It's also very important, like, the whole nine through the end of the chapter, 21, um, is all marks of a believer. But why is it marks of a believer? Because these are the things that come forth from a, uh, from, from a one that loves Christ. 
that, that understands the love that they've been given and therefore can do the things that are here in this text. This is why Christians are so, especially within uh, like the beginning of Christianity and all the way up through a lot of different centuries, but especially up to Constantine, um, are just like known for this oddness in how they interact within society. It's because this soul devotion to Christ and loving like he loves, and part of that is supporting what is evil and holding fast to what is good. That's part of that love. Let's keep going. In love, 1 John 4, 7 through 20, it says, we love because he first loved us. And I want to get an attitude. I want to have like Jehovah sassy on my side and say, stop striving. Stop wearing this heavy burden of I got to love because I'm a Christian. No, you got to love because you've tasted and seen the goodness of God. Amen? You have been loved. You have to continue to put yourself before Jesus and be loved by him so you can love others. I can't get rid of preference without the love of Jesus making me want to give up preference. I can't forgive my enemies. I can't forgive my dad who abused me except if I'm loved by Jesus. I can't forgive those churches that did me wrong until I am experiencing the love of Jesus so I can love Jesus. You're not going to be a loving nurse, teacher, pastor, preacher, parent, lover in the way that you want to until you experience the love of God. We love because he first loved us. So all those things are great. Like that, that I 100% agree with. You cannot love as you should until you first understand how you are loved by God. And that'll transform everything. And how you that that completely shifts the the lens of how you view other people, and I think oftentimes when you forget how you've been loved by God, is when you start not loving people well, right? Now again, we can go into a whole bunch of definitions. I still think that that second half of verse nine gives us a real glimpse of what love God's love looks like, but this idea of like you're not gonna understand how to show grace and mercy until you are reminded or first know the grace and mercy you've been shown. We love because he first loved us. So we must become the love, love in action. I'm running out of time. But what is the source of your love? Take a picture of this. If your source of love is white knuckling it, trying really hard, or is it the love of God for you? What is the purpose of your love? Is it to look good at chapel? Is it to look good to your family? Is it to get love in return from the person that you're giving love to? That's not this love we're talking about. And who or what are you becoming through this expression of love? If you're loving someone and not becoming more like Jesus in that love, then I would go search what that love really is. You following? So some of us, some of us need to sit in the love of God. Some of us need to taste and see and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you want to become love, if you really want to become love in action, 
you start by prostrating yourself before the love of God. If you want to become love in action, then you have to experience the love of God. Are you convinced we can't do those 30 commands? You can't, you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't blow people's hair back by your love and your leadership. You have to experience the love of Christ in your life. Seniors, I'm listening to you. I'm talking to you right now. Do not graduate here and think you're going to do all this stuff in your own strength. Do not leave here. You got three months left. Do not leave here before you learn about the love of God, experience the love of God so you can pour it out. Pour it out, pour it out, and he will fill you back up. Asbury, the world needs this kind of love. Needs it. Syria and Turkey need this kind of love. Your mom and dad need this kind of love. The teammates on your team, the people on your floor. Wilmore, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, the United States needs this kind of love. They need a bunch of Christians experiencing the love of God so they can pour out the love of God, not through their own efforts and not through their own knowledge, but because they are filled with his love. Amen? You can can tell I take this serious. I pray that this sits on you guys like an itchy sweater. So one of the things that like, I think as we end here, I mean, we've got like a, what, just, just under a minute left in this sermon, but um, the ending here is really strong. Now we're, we'll go over the three questions we, we obviously address every single time. We'll do that at the end. But this ending here is he's really pressing into this idea that like you can't do this on your own. This isn't something that you can, I think the exact quote was white knuckle it. You're not going to be able to do this checklist. I can do this. I'll do that. I did this thing. I did this other thing. Rather, you have to experience the love of God. You have to, uh, he doesn't say this, but I, I'm, I'm conjecture here that he's, by experience the love of God, what he's saying is you have to be saved. You have to understand that um, you have been loved this way by Jesus. And because you've been loved this way by Jesus, you then love others that same way because you're transformed by that love. And he said that you you do this by first experiencing this love. You prostate yourself, uh, which just means lay down in front, of, in front of the love of God. Now, could this be, well, we'll talk, hold on, I'm sorry. We'll talk, we'll talk about this a little bit more at the end as far as kind of working this out a bit more. But he's really pressing in hard at the end that the application that they're supposed to get from this sermon is that you can't do this. You, you, you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. So he's got about a minute left. Let's let him finish. And then we'll kind of do, again, the review uh, of what this looks like as far as the three questions that we ask every single sermon. You got to itch. You got to take care of it. So experience his love. Become the love of God by experiencing the love of God. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, I pray as we continue. Okay, so he is ending in prayer. He ends the service there. That is the service that ended up uh, students staying after uh, in prayer, uh, in repentance, and in worship, uh, responding to what uh, to what Zach said. Right, this idea that we and it, so to give you a sneak peek of the the video I did on Asbury, I went and spoke to a student that was at that chapel, and she uh, said that. 
the first two days, so that Wednesday evening and that Thursday, the the prayer and repentance was very much, and the singing even, was very much this sort of heaviness of, Lord, our hearts aren't in the right space. Uh, please, you know, change our hearts to be able to love people like you love them. And then when everybody else started getting sort of wind of it, it was on the tail end of that going into sort of uh, praising the Lord for the good things that he's done, the change and the the reassurance that he has brought into uh, their lives. So that's what we kind of saw. But the initial response seems to be a response to this sermon, uh, which Zach admittedly said, I guess, that he thinks that he really he didn't do a great job of. And so he's surprised that, you know, anybody even cared to listen to stay after to pray for their own hearts in regards to this. Um, which just demonstrates, I think, again, there's no perfect sermon. God can use whatever he chooses to use in whatever way he chooses to use it to transform hearts and minds. Um, but let's let's go to the three things we look through for in every sermon. The first is, was the text read? Was, was the scripture read? And it was. He did read Romans 12, 9 through the end of the chapter in uh, verse 21. He read through all of that. Uh, did we work through the context and the culture of that to explain application? We really didn't do that that much. But again, to be fair, I think anybody that tries to tackle verses 9 all the way through 21 is just like, that's a lot there to cover. There's so much richness there. I mean, I'd say that if I was going to preach 9 through 21, I would probably take at least two weeks at the at the smallest, but probably three to break all of this down in a manner that I felt was pretty adequate. Because again, I'd have to go through, you know, who's Paul writing to? What's going on in their day? When he's ta- telling them this, what are they hearing? And therefore, uh, how can we get a deeper understanding of that? So no, Zach doesn't do that, but I think it would have been a very, it would have been a monumentous task to do that. I think we should have really picked a, a shorter section, but whatever, it's... <laughs> whatever. But no, he doesn't. So he does read the text, but we don't really give context and culture to bring out the application, though he does bring application, which is that to love this way is going to require you understanding the love of Jesus. Now, third question, does uh, Zach preach the gospel of Christ in this sermon? He doesn't. Um, He does mention the love of Christ and understanding the love of Christ to be the lens by which you then understand how you do this efficiently because you can't love others like Christ loves them uh, until you remember the love that you've been shown by Christ. Now, I may be assuming a lot here, but it seems to me that Zach is assuming that he's talking to Christians that already understand the gospel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, that understand the fundamentals of the faith. The student, again, that I talked to uh, brought that point up, that this wasn't really a gospel presentation as much as it was an edification for believers that were that already understood the gospel. Um, so to be fair, um, he didn't present it. But again, I think sometimes some of the sermons we look at, the gospel isn't presented in an ABCD sort of manner because the assumption is you already know that. Zach does seem to assume here that those that are in chapel know who Jesus is already about life, death, resurrection. And then he brings Jesus out as much of the early church writing did as an example. Look at Christ, how he loves you, what he did, therefore go and do the same. Um, And so we have that. 
So th those are the, where we're at. Now, the very interesting thing here is that I think what Zach, and we have a very interesting uh, view into this sermon that we don't really don't have from other sermons, which is that obviously a lot happened as very afterwards. Zach was interviewed about this sermon, which typically doesn't happen with the sermon reviews that we do. And he thinks that he didn't do a great job on this sermon. Uh, and again, I, I'm not trying to be mean here. I don't think he did a great job job either. And what I mean by that is I think a lot more work could have been done through these verses. I don't think it was trash. I just think there's so much richness in this text here that we could have really dug out and made this longer and made this really just understandable on a very base level. Um, but clearly God used it to do something. So that being said, where, you know, do I think this was a decent sermon? I think it was a really good sermon in regards to um, if you were trying to convey how you are to love other people the way Jesus loved them. I think there's a lot more we could have entailed here, uh, a lot more depth and richness we could have dug out. Um, but again, we didn't dig through that. So was it? I think it. I think it served its purpose in regards to it being a chapel service to college uh, age Christians that need to understand that they are loved by God in a way that's different than they understand love. And then they're supposed to take that love out into the world and love others, not by their own power, but by the power of Christ in their life. So if that was the purpose, it seems to have clearly served that purpose and be used and have been used uh, by, by the Lord to fill that purpose. But what do you think? Let me know below. If you appreciate this sort of content, make sure you like it, comment, share all the cool things, and I'll see you next week.